the Lord. Wow. <laughs> that was funny, Richard. I knew what you meant, but I'm thinking he's already here, the one we've been waiting for. Wow. It was good, huh? We love you. We'll never stop. You know what we're singing? It's really good. There's a difference between needing him and loving him. And a lot, a lot, a lot of people never cross that line from needing him to loving him in the way that you love him is that you see first loved you. Nobody just loves God. Scriptural. But you see that he first loved you. If you don't let love get rooted and grounded in your life and settle the fact that he loves you through a crucified son and make that the standard and the barometer of the evidence of God's love, you'll let life speak louder than the gospel. And the way life's going, the things you haven't seen happen, the prayers you prayed that weren't answered, the trauma, the tragedy that popped up, the, just the layoff, just the child that went away. All these things start having a louder voice and all of a sudden you're questioning God's love and you're just forced to need him and you're searching your promise book for an answer. And you're reducing this book to a bunch of principles you're crying out, hoping they work. That's just not a cool Christian life. I've never seen a lot of joy <laughs> or fruit in that. So it's just astounding. We're singing this and it's so sweet. and It's the heart of God. It's like, it's like we love you. We'll never stop. Okay, so if we're never going to stop loving him, we're going to never change our mind about his love for us. So you can't say, wow, I thought you loved me, God. You know how many Christians have cried that just today? Way in their life going, man, I thought you loved me. Or somebody's counseling somebody and they say, but I thought he loved me. You don't find God's love through how life unfolds. You don't find God's love through how life unfolds. And if you're looking there, you'll be very confused. Peter said, don't think it's strange. There's things happening to you that are happening to your brothers all over the world. Don't you take this personal. You take the gospel personal. Amen. You follow? Because see, if love's in question, then you'll never really have true faith because faith works through love. We're to be rooted and grounded in love. The only fight that we really fight is the good fight of faith. We continue to believe what we set out believing in the beginning and we don't let anything change our mind. I'm, I'm, I'm concerned when we sing a song, yeah, not for this room, just at large, that there's so many good, sincere hearted people that are singing this song and letting life stumble us out of the truth of that song. It's, it's a tragic thing to get driven from the place of loving God to simply needing God and becoming a desperate Christian, needing God and missing his love in the midst of a real need. We all need God. We need God in many ways, many things. You can write a whole list. You can look at everybody's life. There's different needs for God in our life. Just empowerment to live what he created us for. We all need that the same. We all need grace. We all need empowerment, right? But I'm just talking about needing God in, in ways circumstantially. 
This is something I've found out along the way, and I believe it, and I see it scripturally. Like, godliness with contentment is great gain. And I'm not telling you to stop believing for certain things or things to change circumstantially, situationally, with jobs, employment. But here's what you have to understand. No matter how that works out, your purpose never changes. The reason you're alive never changes. The purpose of Christ in you never changes. In this last year with the turmoil and election and political stuff and COVID and the whole nine yards, everybody's talking about this whole year and the chaos and the stuff. I think it was a good barometer for the church to realize we didn't have a real strong foundation of who we are and what we're here for. Like what changed in the last year about why Christ is in you? You, you answer this for me. What has changed about the purpose of Christ inside you in this last year? Nothing. Then how come so many people changed? See, we get tricked into living to survive instead of living to shine. And we start using God for our sake instead of living for His namesake. Are you guys okay? You're really quiet. Some of you look serious. (laughs) I drove six hours for this. Yes, it's life-changing. It's life-changing. The other thing that I'm preaching here that we're doing, you'll never have consistent joy. Your life will be up and down. You're as good as things are going, period. You're circumstantially driven. And there's no joy of salvation, joy unspeakable. Like Scripture talks about, that's when your heart sees and knows. Listen, truth, guys, in this last year, nothing changed about the call of God, the purpose of God, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Nothing changed about what he did, why he did it, and who we are now that he came. And man, it would be just so good if we get locked into that. If Jesus said, let your light so shine before men, and you have reasons in your life and theology to not shine, that's a problem. If the whole purpose of Christ in you is to shine and let your light so shine and you have reasons to not shine, that's a problem. Because now you can't live what he's in you for. And I'm just concerned that we got this idea that he's just here to take care of us and make life work for us instead of transform us and put who He is inside of us so who He is shines out of us in the moment of life. Are you with me? <laughs> Look, I, I, I hope you get a better job. It'd be great if finances increased, but wonder if the job hasn't come. Have you changed? Because if you changed when the job didn't come, it's idolatry. You're just, you're circumstantially driven. You're only going to God for Him to do the things you believe you need to be okay. I just got to say this like it's here, okay? And that means it is really all about you. It's not wrong to believe for things, but you can't let the outcome of those things change who you are and what you represent and what you manifest. Like if you get laid off, who knows factually you're laid off? Who knows right now you have bills, budget, you don't have money coming in. There's reality that. But when you get laid off and you become laid off, 
That's different. You can be laid off and stay the same this way. A person that's, that becomes laid off goes home crying. Their spouse is falling apart. They're already freaking out, looking at bills, weighing budget. And they're overwhelmed by the fact that they got laid off. And then when they pray, it's a desperate cry of desolation because they're already under the water running out of air. They became what they're going through. And they're wearing it like a garment. Versus coming home, honey, something happened today I didn't see coming. But man, it's so good we know him. Look, I got laid off today. You got laid off? Yeah. Wow. Well, God's really going to do something, isn't he? Because he knows us. He knows what we have need of. Yeah. Father, I just been thanking him. And I just want to thank him with you. Take my hand. Father, I just thank you. You know us. You know our family. And you'll sure provide. Obviously, I'll knock on doors. Somebody will find value and interest in me. But God, I thank you. We are in covenant with you. And we are sons and daughters. And we walk and we shine. And all of a sudden, you're pumping gas. And Billy's coming across. And he says, hey, Johnny, how's it going? And you don't say, oh, man, keep me in prayer. Dude, I just got laid off. We call that Christian. And tell everybody else, get it on Facebook. Then the word will spread around the world. The whole world will be praying for us. Yes. <laughs> There's a woman in your Bible. Her son is laying dead. And the man of God says, or the, the husband says, uh, how, how are you? Is everything okay? And she says, it is well. She's going to find the prophet. Her son is dead. It's not denial. I'm not preaching some kind of weird name and claim it, some kind of denial thing. I'm talking about never taking the identity of what you're going through upon you and becoming the thing you're going through. You become what he went through. You become the price and the dividend of what he paid for. Christ in you. The hope of glory. The hope of glory means the manifestation of God in the moment. The hope of glory means God being seen and known and realized. So the Christ in you is the hope of God being seen, known, and realized. That's not falling apart in trial and putting on the thing you're going through. And then questions rise. Why isn't God moving? Where's he at? What door did I open? Why is he allowing? Why is he? And all those questions subvert your image and view of God. They, there's so many questions all of a sudden. Everything you knew gets in question. The questions override everything your heart has known. Because of the wrong questions. The Holy Spirit has been so gracious to teach me from a long time back to live from answers, to live from answers. And even if I don't have answers and it's not wrong to have questions, but I don't let the questions subvert the things I know. You, when I know he loves me through the cross, I can't question if he loves me because I got laid off. My child ran away and I had a fender bender in the same week. And now my theology says, boy, I wonder what I did wrong. I thought God loved me. Do you know how many people said, I thought God loved me in the face of trial? Which means we have the idea that he's here to make sure everything goes the way we're hoping. That is rarely your life. 
And if you let your image of God change in your heart, you won't draw close to him and you won't get to know him and you won't have relationship and intimacy with him. You'll just have a needs driven prayer list, but you won't have a father. Your view and your image of God is vital. Because if he's a mystery, you won't draw close and give yourself to him. You won't open up and be intimate with him. Yeah? Yeah. Come on, that's just good and clear. So who he is, I have to find through the son. Jesus Christ, when I see him, I've seen the father. Does the father love you, Dan? You better believe it. There was a time in my life where my whole life looked blown up. My whole family looked blown up. It looked like I didn't know how to be a father, a husband on the surface. It, everything was blown up. And if you just said, does he love you? Are you kidding me? He loves me. None of these things challenge if he loves me. He loves me has been already settled in my heart through a son that was crucified. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> so now I'm rooted and grounded in love. I know how he sees me. I know his heart towards me, his purpose for me. So it's easy for me to be with him in those moments from the right place and get the right stuff to respond and walk in the right places in the midst of all these things that can go crazy. Yeah. So in the midst of that situation without going into detail, which lasted about eight years, You could get presumptuous and say, well, brother, if you had a revelation, that would have changed before eight years. Where did you ever have a promise that God would change everything around you and make it go the way you hope? Why do we allow our disposition to rest on our circumstances and we're all praying for better circumstances? We need so-and-so to change for us to be okay. You're okay because Christ is in you and you're surrendered and you love not your own life unto death and you've died so you can truly live. You're okay because you walk in love and you're walking in the light as he's in the light. And as he is, so are we in this world. Yeah, that's why you're okay. Because you're wholly given and surrendered and you're all in. Yay. Because you're just going to love one another. Yeah, but they don't love me. Has nothing to do with nothing. Did God love us when we were unlovely? On a day you were living in your deepest darkness, did he have a better view of you? So if he's that way and he made us for his image and he told us to follow him and the things he does will do if we believe, then our believers should be set on these things. And we shouldn't sell out our believer to nothing but the truth that's found in him. Every promise is to the believer. The sign follows a believer. Your believer is a critical thing. Like what you believe is very important. Jesus said, who do men say that I am? They had a lot of answers that men were throwing out there. Then he said, who do you say that I am? Your answer to his question is vital. He's the one that loves me. Come hell or high water. Whether I have enough or I have too much. Or don't have enough or have too much. Whether I'm a base, whether I'm abounding. 
He's the one that loves me and His love never fails. And He's empowered me to walk in that love in the midst of every situation. Take no account of a suffered wrong and not seek my own, but lay down my life and pick up my cross and follow Him so He can be manifest upon the earth through His body called me. Yeah. That's Christianity. Nothing less is. We've made it a lot less. We've made it bless me, provide for me, protect me, give to me. Come on, my hair is white and I've lived on the earth long enough to be able to say this without you getting mad at me. We've all lost people in our lives. I've been on the earth long enough to have lost some special people in my life. Is physical loss real? Absolutely. I'm not going to stand here and try to over-spiritualize that, but here's what I am going to tell you. Physical loss isn't dominant because life through Jesus Christ dominates. Eternal life dominates. We don't grieve as those who have no hope. We're full of hope. Because this is just a dressing room for forever. So is physical loss real? But is it supposed to ever be dominant? Now you be honest with me. How many Christians do you know that have lost special loved ones in their life and they've never recovered and never been the same with God and their prayer life has never rebounded and their spiritual life has been shipwrecked because of loss? Now I'm not being mean. I've lost people. My mother was sick for 40 years, prayed and prayed and never saw her change. I changed her diapers and carried her to bed. Don't tell me I don't understand hardship. I might not have been through the hell you've been through with hardship, but I do understand it. I watched tubes feed her and I watched things go to the bathroom for her. And for 15 years, she didn't get out of the bed. So don't tell me I don't understand. Don't make me have to fit in your shoes and defend your mindset by that line. Let's just get grown up today and selfless and mature, not get mad and angry and offended. Taking our life so personal in our search for him because it doesn't work. Look, can you tell I lost my mother to sickness? Do I look offended at God or do I look like I have passion for him? Look, the passing of my mother has nothing to do with the reflection on the goodness of God, His faithfulness, His plan, His purpose. In fact, when she passes and I'm in the sober place knowing if He touches her, she jumps up. He's in me. Keep growing, Dan. Go after God. Don't back off. Life is short and this thing is real. Let's go after God. Not, I can't believe God let my mom die. And then never rebound. Well, thank God he let her live in the first place, so I'm here. Now I can live forever in the presence of God because of the blood of Jesus. Yay, I have life because of Jesus Christ. And now I'm going to get mad because my mom died? No, I'm excited we're all here. Is my mom fine? You better believe it more than we know. We all say she is, but we don't know just how fine she is. So the right answer is, oh yes, she's fine. But we really don't know how fine she is. Or we'd all be okay. If our lost loved ones that we're wrecking over could come back and preach to us, that would be some serious preaching. Fire in their eyes. You think we get wound up sometimes. Calm down, brother. You're wrong. Calm down for what? Calm down. It ain't all that. No, it's way more. If our lost loved ones that are, have been in the presence of God could be our preachers. And they'd be like, what are you crying about? What are you thinking? You don't even have that much time to write this legacy. Get writing, man. 
You're going to stand before him someday and you're grieving the loss of my life when I'm alive and well. And you're going to live forever together with us in him. What are you thinking? That's what they would do. Only freak out 10 times more than I just did. They'd be a lot more convincing and convicting. I'm positive of that. Because they'd be coming from the absolute total realm of truth. We're coming from sentiment, feelings, and a wrong purpose in Christianity that a lot of us have been painted our whole lives. It's just about God taking care of me. God taking care of me. No, it's about God transforming me. Integrity and discipline and diligence and God putting who He is inside of me so that truth can live out of me in the midst of any moment. Yeah? And if I'm missing that, I'm missing the fun. And I'm probably personal and hurt and insecure and self-conscious and self-focused. Who watched these children? Who had their eye on these children? Who honestly got blessed by these children? See, I see that stuff and it just, oh, because be like little children. You just look at that and you go, I get it. There's zero self-consciousness. They're not thinking, they're not like, I wonder if people are watching thinking if I dance goofy. Innocence, zero self-conscious and totally precious before the Lord and sure fun to watch. And I'm like, Lord, just make me like them. (laughs) Make me like them. Yeah, because what happens is you grow a little older, a little more self-consciousness. Things start dressing you. Identity gets a little twisted. Somebody says the wrong thing or doesn't say the right thing or Next thing you know, you start putting on things you were never made to wear. Now they don't look good on you. They don't fit right. You're not comfortable and you don't look good. Probably ought to take off all those clothes. And get naked before the Lord. Before the Lord. Get vulnerable and strip all those lies off. Wow, Lord. You're sitting on your bed. Why can't we do this stuff? Wow, Lord, I used to think that my life didn't matter and people didn't really care about me and it mattered so much to me. It hurt me. It made me insecure. made me try to find for attention. And sometimes it just made me feel like I didn't even want to be here. The truth is now I get it. I was finding my identity through how people seem to think, project, see. But the truth is you sent your son to give your life for me. To put your life inside of me. And I've been trying to find identity through people and stuff and things. Now I get it. I find my identity through you. You want to live in me and shine through me. You love me when my life looked unlovable. When I thought I couldn't be forgiven, you were already forgiven me through the blood of Jesus. God, you know what? Tonight, I'm saying yes to you. I'm receiving your love. And nobody owes me a thing. And I'm taking off all those weird clothes I put on all those years. God, and I'm putting on what you paid for and what you made for me. Righteousness in your sight. Clean, holy, blameless, and above reproach. See, as you hear somebody preach the gospel and share these things, you got to say, wow. That's the truth about me because it's through Jesus. He's the truth. He's not going to pass away. Heaven and earth and him and his word are here to stay. I can only 
find my value, my identity, and the truth in Jesus. You'd be surprised in this small room how many people have found their identity recently in the wrong things. And they're just not that encouraged. They don't have much focus, hope, future, vision. Because life is speaking louder than truth. Truth is what makes you free. So if life's speaking louder than truth, there's a lot of bondage, a lot of limitation. All of a sudden, the light gets quenched, and yet you're here to shine. You see the war? Ain't that something? Every day you wake up, it's a gift. you got another day to be more like him. My mama, and I believe in healing. We're going to pray for the sick tonight. We're going to have fun. You, you watch. I'm not being arrogant. He's already here. Amen. It's his heart, his nature. It's not because of me or my ministry or what I carry. <laughs> I wish we would drop that stuff. Stop making more of men and much of him and what he paid for. It's simple faith in what he did. It's his love for people. I'm good. It's his, thank you. It's his love for people. It's his finished work. It's not your prayer. Your prayer tonight isn't going to heal anybody. Or we should all go to prayer college. (laughs) It's just simple faith. It's the people being prayed for, and we'll get into it in a bit. Just believing, you know what, no matter how I felt, no matter how long it was like, my mama, she suffered more than you know. She, she, she had MS for 40 years, but she laid in bed the last 15. And it just totally took her body out. But it didn't take her heart or identity. You'd walk in the bedroom. Now, this, this, this is going to stretch you. Don't be judged by it. Be empowered by it. Don't be judged by it. Because we tend to be complainers. If you're a complainer, you're very self-centered and don't realize it. I can show you several scriptures where Christians don't complain. It's not even permissible. It's out of the box. Like complaining is where the devil destroys and devours because he says, ah, this ain't about the kingdom. This is about you. Ah, easy. Bam. He said, Paul said, don't you complain like they did in the wilderness. And get destroyed by the one that destroys, devoured by the one that comes to devour. Don't you complain like they did and give yourself away. That you're not surrendered and sold out. I can show you in Philippians. That was Corinthians 10. Philippians says do all things without. How many things? Without grumbling or complaining. Why? So you're seen by a world that doesn't understand. That has twist in their motive. By a perverse generation. So you're seen as innocent, harmless children in the midst of a perverse motive that's working in this earth. Whom you, shining forth as a light, are holding forth the word of life. By not complaining when you're expected to. Ain't that something? Do how many things? Without what? So you can be seen. Let your light so. See, this isn't where you're seen. 
Your everyday life's where you're seen. That's your mission field. You don't have to go. I mean, go to a third world country if that's in your heart. Go on a mission trip if that's in your heart. But you don't have to go on a mission trip to be on a mission trip. Your whole life is a mission trip. Really, seriously, if, if, if it's just all of a sudden mission trips is ministry and your life is in ministry, your whole life's ministry. Every day you go to work is ministry. It's a day in the field. Like if you're going to turn on extra faith to go to a third world country and you don't have faith for your coworkers, what are you doing? That gets religious. That gets weird. That's why people go on a mission trip to Africa and then they get in depression when they come back to America because they don't separate. They, they, they like think, oh, God was so moving. He's in you today. He's the same. It's you that's not seeing. Yeah, come on. And you're all ramped up to love people. We do our outreach nights and we come and pray in tongues in the parking lot and hand out tracks that night because that's what we do. It sounds so spiritual, so Christian. It might be terribly religious. Like when's the last time you handed out a track apart from your little outreach night? When's the last time you had the boldness to tell somebody they're precious to God without your outreach night? What if you're putting on a jacket called ministry? Instead of putting on love and calling it life. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Come on, I don't have to be in organized ministry to tell somebody Jesus loves them. To say, hey man, you look like you're hurting. Can I pray for you? It doesn't have to be the third thirsty. <laughs> God will move. But I'm going to talk a plane. I'm going to say a plane. If you don't have that understanding, you can go on a mission trip. It's a false perception. If you don't put on that same faith and grace every day, you're going to become religious. It's kind of hypocritical without you realizing it's not an evil thing. It's a deceived thing. You're going and having motivation because of what you're a part of and what you're doing to be something that you can be every day. And that's the goal of the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. Yeah. That you walk in the light in your workplace, not groan about your boss and pray for another job because you're disjointed and discouraged and disgusted there. It's probably why God hasn't moved you. Because he doesn't want to cater to that. He won't cater to your complaining so that you can just go inventory your next job to see if it suits. You're not at work to be pleased. You're at work to shine and earn an income. Shine. Did you hear what was first? Shining is even before income. But a job is about generating income, being responsible. If a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. It's in Scripture. But man, when you go, shine. Don't have resentment. Don't say, well, I'm stuck to the nine to five. All the stuff we say. One of the number one prayer requests I got when I was a full-time pastor was pray for me to get a new job. I can't stand where I work. I need a Christian job. If I hear another F-bomb, I'm just going to die. And I would smile and say, I'm sorry, I'm not going to pray for you to get another job. In fact, I think I'm going to pray God keeps you there and change you there till you get a revelation, even if it's for the rest of your life.
My wife prayed for me to change for 13 years. I was the bad husband that wasn't loving, never satisfied, nothing was good enough, didn't give no love, just wanted treated like a king because I went to work and brought home money and paid the bills. Hey, you ought to be happy. What's wrong with you people? 13 years of that attitude, never given a thing, always wanting and it was never enough. She just ran out of gas. She was such a good girl. She was saved six months when I met her. She asked if I was a Christian. I said, yeah. I mean, I went to vacation Bible school. Mom took me to church. I live in America. I'm probably a Christian. <laughs> At that time, back in the 80s, late 70s, you figure everybody's a Christian. That's just kind of what you thought. Yeah, I'm a Christian. I tell you I believe in God. Sure. So I told her I was a Christian. But if she looked at my life at all, she would have known I wasn't. (laughs) She prayed for me for 13 years. You know what happened after 13 years? Her heart dried up. She died. She inside. She just dried up. She went bankrupt. I drained her battery, I guess, you know. She just didn't have enough revelation like we have today. To keep love going, she ran out of gas. She tried hard in her own power, her own strength, her own integrity. She lasted 13 years. Actually impressive to live with me for 13 years. The way I was, that's impressive. But she ran out of gas. You know what she said when she went in her bedroom the night that she knew our marriage was over and had the boldness to tell me we're done? And then I laughed in her face and said, it's about time you find the strength to agree with that. I've been waiting for this for a long time. I've wasted enough of my life with you. That's how brutal I was. Bad. She was so, I saw her make herself not cry. She walked in the bedroom. I'm so done with him. I'm never looking back. And then you know what she told me she did? She looked up at the ceiling and pumped her fist. Watch what she said. Analytical. Human wisdom. Fall of man. Watch. Hurting people understand her language. There's a lot of hurting people that attend church. You. I'll tell you what I'm done with you too. I have prayed to you for 13 years. 13 years I've prayed to you, and you've done nothing. In fact, I think he's worse. You've allowed me and these children to go through hell, and you've done nothing. I don't need you either. How's that for being real? Factually, hurting people under... Yeah, that's exactly. When I get to heaven, I can't wait to see God because I got a few things like that to ask Him too. (laughs) No, friend, you don't have a clue. You're popping off and don't even realize it. You're going to turn into sawdust if it's not for His mercy. (laughs) Like what? You're going to walk into heaven with questions. (laughs) Not with attitude. You can walk into with questions and humility, but not like this. Because you won't even make it. Because there'll be so much light coming off of him in truth, you're going to go, oops, way before you get to the door. <laughs> you're going to go, oops. I blame my whole life on my spouse and didn't believe him. I blame my whole life on my job and didn't believe him. I blame my whole life on my past and didn't believe him. I blame my whole life on my childhood, on my dad, on my stepdad, on Uncle Johnny. I blame my whole life on something and didn't believe him. And you're going to go, oops. Because you let something matter more than what matters most. 
So our marriage was done. We were done for months. In the meantime, then I get wrecked and saved at work. She got offended and insulted. And she said, I've been praying for that man for 13 years. And now he wants to pull something like this and say he's saved. Yeah, right. He just wants the family to make him the good guy and turn me into the witch. And I'm the problem. She confronted me and told me I was a fool and it ain't going to work. And everybody's going to see through my ploy. And But who knows, when you've been with him, pretty hard to change that. So I wasn't arrogant. I didn't preach at her. I didn't say, well, whatever. I know him. <laughs> That's what people do. And then they, they boast in their theology and they argue with each other over Scripture and just prove they don't know the Lord. Wow. They're going to fight back. Eye for eye and tooth for tooth. Got to get in the last word and make sure yours has a sting to it. Got to win the conversation. That's just evidence that you don't know him like you're saying. Here's what my Bible says. I just found it in there. It was there the whole time. (laughs) It says, if I don't love my brother, I'm in darkness. Until now. And I'm blind because if I don't love, I don't see where I'm going. It was wow. You can be a ministry, you can preach, you can go through four theology schools. But you know them by their love. You can let knowledge puff you up. You can let your knowledge take the place of knowing Him. You can let your ministry, your church service take the place of relationship and knowing Him. And you can build your whole life on ministry instead of Him. You can be mad at people and burned out because of people. You can hate people and stereotype people and you hear their name and you haven't seen them for five years and when you hear their name, all you think about is a thing you're still mad at. And all you're doing when you do that is say, I go to church, I'm sincere in my attendance, but I don't know Him. Oh, I got scripture for it. It's 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another because love is of God and everyone who loveth is born of God and knows God. He who loveth not just doesn't know God because God is love. So what's the measuring stick and barometer of you knowing Him? Love. And this is eternal life that you might know Him. Not pray a prayer to go to heaven. Know Him. Jesus is introduction back to the Father. He's a reestablishment of relationship. We make Jesus this impersonal, impersonal vessel of a destination change. Instead of Jesus, my answer into new life by being rejoined to the one that's eternal, which gives me eternal life. Back to the Father. No one cometh to the he didn't, no, he didn't say no one comes to heaven. It's impersonal. There's people that pray a prayer to go to heaven and never get to know the Lord. They try to stay faithful in church because they're told to. And then they don't feel like they were faithful. They get condemned because they're sincere. They back out and feel like they failed. And years go by. And there's nothing evil about it working in them. It's just deception and we didn't give them the truth. We're just trying to get them to church instead of get them to Him. My wife said, I'm done with you. You've done nothing. I prayed to you for 13 years. You've allowed me and these children to go through hell. Where have you been? 
and I get saved, she's mad. My wife turned into another person that I didn't even know like she would ever have been there. Unforgiveness manipulate you. Unresolved conflict will contort you. You're not made for it. You're not made to carry it. She, she fought the thing she prayed for for 13 years. She fought it tooth and nail for seven straight weeks and tried to break it, expose it, and drive it out because she was so hurt. Not evil, hurt. She came at this thing every way to get a rise out of me, get me to cross the line so she could go, aha, and relieve her violated conscience. Seven weeks I didn't preach to her. I just closed my door and was with him. My kids, they would just 10 and 5, they just cling to me. My boy, he wouldn't leave my side. I'd be praying, he'd just follow me around. It was beautiful. I'd be praying, I'd lay my hand on his forehead, right in the carpet. Five years old. About three straight days of that, he's over at his toy box playing. Shakarabaka, Sandi, Arabaka. Praying, like overflowing, praying. Didn't sound nothing like me when I pray in tongues. It was just his little spirit so flooded and filled. He's a five years old. Took my little girl out to eat and apologized for the daddy that I wasn't and told her she'll always have a daddy because Jesus came and saved me and changed me forever. And she looked at me resilient 10 years. She said, oh, it's okay, daddy. I said, oh, no, it hasn't been okay. There's times I made you feel unloved, worthless. Made you feel like you didn't belong in this family. (gasps) Never again. Jesus is amazing. But my wife, memories and hurt, he said, and how come? And all of a sudden, well, it's too late now. Seven weeks goes by. I'm not preaching at her. Watch this. This will throw some of you. I'm not even praying for our marriage. I'm praying to know him like I've never known him. I want to become what he paid for. I said one day, one day, way back in the beginning, I said, I believe you want marriage. I believe you you covenant. I get all that. I'm not going to cry out every day for my marriage. Look, I blew the thing out of the water. If you can fix it, that would be amazing. I would say, yay, fix me. Make me what you created me to be. Make me what you paid for. And if you see fit to redeem my marriage in that process, I am all about that. But I can't go try to fix what I so broke. And I never one time prayed for my marriage after that. Seven weeks of just knowing him, knowing him. I come out of my bedroom from praying one day. I was because we were trying to live in the same house till we were divorced and saved a little bit of money. It was just craziness, you know, attention. Oh, we'd stick each other with the kids like they're commodities or tool, tools or pawns. Or I'd come in the back door. She'd go out the front. No communication. She'd come home. I'd sneak out. No communication. It's terrible. The kids right in the middle of it. I was in my bedroom one day, just, I come out and she's standing right outside the door. Whoa. I was scared. (laughs) Little timid thing. 
she just changed on me. It was like there was a button. I came out and she's like, oh, oh. And she said some things about making her sick and da-da-da. And it was just so like revelatory to me. I can think back on it now, not in any bad way. It's like, whoa, unresolved conflict, pain, hurt. She goes, you live like the devil for 13 years. 13 years you live like the devil. And now you're in there praying like you're some holy man of God. I don't think so. How easy would it have been to say, well, Kim, you know, people change and God shows mercy. and He does forgive when you repent. The trouble is your heart's so full of unforgiveness that you can't see anymore. And I'd have already lost two eyes before the first or second sentence. <laughs> Don't people try to justify? Don't they need to try to defend and tell others what they ought to be doing? I just looked at her and cried. And I said, you know, I can't imagine what it was like living with me. And I'm so sorry. All I can say is I'm sorry. I just walked away and she's like, that is not my husband. Well, she's right. I'm born again. This wasn't her husband. So the clincher was, here was the breaking, the breaking of the, the thing. She, she came home one day. She's supposed to leave the following weekend. She's supposed to leave for the whole weekend. She's going to drive to her sister's out of town. She's going to stay there the whole weekend and come back whatever day. So she took off. So she's gone. So it's me and the kids. Six hours later. I don't know what she did for six hours. But she hung out somewhere for six hours. She comes sneaking in the back door. She's going to catch me in something. She's going to find me sprawled out on the couch watching some smut and screaming at the kids because she ain't home. She come peeking around the corner of the kitchen and I'm sitting in the living room Indian style with my kids and I look up and I see movement. I look up and there's her face. I said, hey, did you, what? Nothing. Never mind. She zoom up the steps. Boom, 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 boom. Angry. Don't say right out the door. I don't even know what's like mystery. You know, she told me we got all the I got all this input afterward. We talked about all this. She told me she was so mad at the Lord. She screamed at him the whole way to her sisters. Why now? Why not? And why? And how come? And after this? And I already make decisions. And now my life is going down this road. And all of a sudden you want to show up. This isn't cool. This isn't funny. She's just freaking out. Just all about her. Doesn't even realize what she's doing. Her hurting friends understand. And I'm a dog and don't you ever go back. And you deserve better. Well, wait a minute, I'm transformed. She ain't even give this new guy a chance. She doesn't even know me. I'm like, I look the same, but I'm a way better model. Way better part number. Package number. Way better package. Guess what she caught me doing? Sitting Indian style in the living room with a book of Psalms open, teaching my five and ten-year-old what it means to worship Jesus. <laughs> And she snuck in on that. Ah! Whoa! I'm like, mm. yeah. So within about five days of that encounter, 
She's fighting tooth and nail. God's melting her down. I ain't preached to her one time, but guess what's speaking? My life. My life. For the first time. I'm evangelizing in the name with words. I don't have a voice with her, but I got a life. You might not have a voice with some of your friends, your coworkers, or your boss, but you got a life. Come on, you got a life. Let your light so. Anything that hinders the light is a lie, I promise. You believe in a lie if the light's quenched. My mama, 40 years, sick, she shined beyond belief. I never heard my mother complain one time about her sickness. I know that's extreme and you might not be able to believe that, but I witnessed that. Why? Because she said in her heart, I'm a daughter before an MS patient. And I'm not going to let MS take out the light. I believe in healing. I haven't seen it, but I am going to shine. You can't keep me from shining. You might keep me from walking today, but you ain't going to keep me from shining. You ain't going to keep me from loving. You ain't going to keep me from being what he is on the inside of me. Oh, I might not be able to go to the bathroom on my own, but I'll tell you what I can do. I can smile, love, be gentle, and be kind. And I can walk with a clean heart towards God and towards people. I'm a daughter before I'm MS. That's my mama. When she died and passed on, I mean, nobody dies unless they're not saved. She just passed on to be with Jesus. When I went to, I did my mom's funeral. It was an honor. My dad said, would you be able to pull off doing your mom's funeral? I don't know who better could represent your mom than you. I said, are you kidding, dad? It would be the greatest honor. I won't even think of crying. That will blow the trumpet of truth at my mom's funeral. He said, really? You'll be able to, I won't even think of crying. You know when I cried? As soon as I got there. <laughs> when I saw it parked two by two the whole way down to the bottom for a lady that laid in bed for 15 years and I thought I knew who was going to be there. I had it all numbered in my head. Small little gathering of intimates. There were so many people there and the reason they were there is because she shined. There were nurses, care workers, there were two doctors standing right there. The one was the head of city doctors, the director of city doctors. He does not have the schedule, Larry, to be there. But he's there. And man, I'm not the wisest man you ever met, but my hair is white. <laughs> and I had the mic. <laughs> and I said, well, I want to thank you on behalf of, and I see, oh my goodness, hi, hey, hey, wow. I just thank you guys for being here. I know why you're here. Because you never met anyone like her. And the nurses are already. <gasps> and you thought she was an enigma. And you believe she was a once in a million. And just that special person that you'll never meet again. And you had to come and honor her on the day of her memory and memorial. And the, and the doctors are. I preached on selfishness like you wouldn't believe at my mom's funeral. Because I said if she was an ounce of it, you wouldn't have known her the way you do. She thought first for the kingdom. She thought second for others. And I don't even know where herself was on the list. Sounds scriptural. They were piled up at her funeral. Because her light so hadn't walked for 15 years, suffered terribly, believed in healing, so did we. Never saw her healed. That gets people to change churches. That gets people to rewrite theology.
And they make the way it happened for them, their story and God's definition. Well, I got a lot of stories going within stories, don't I? They're all getting tied up. So my wife goes into the bathroom five days after the little coming home, sneaking in, seeing me, catching me, worshiping Jesus, having a little fallout with God. She's doing her hair. She's going to go out somewhere on the town. She's got a little curling brush and she's getting pretty. And the Lord just came in the bathroom in an undeniable way. He just walked in like he's confident, like he owns the place. <laughs> like he can do whatever he wants. He just comes strolling in the bathroom and she said she couldn't see him. But oh, did she know he was there. She said, curling brush in hand, she went, and just rose. And the almighty presence of God just enveloped her. And he said, Kim, she said, I think I heard him with my ear, but I can't be sure, but boy, did I hear him. So it doesn't matter to me whether she heard him audibly, heard him in her heart. doesn't matter to me. So that's a, that's a technicality. But guess what she heard? Kim, why are you so angry with that man? Can't you see? She said it was like somebody started to strip something off of her face in a spiritual way. All the years of unresolved conflict, words I should have never spoken, arguments, belittlements, mean stuff. Just all that stuff that had painted her and dressed her and shrouded her in garments. Can't you see? She said it was so overwhelming. It was like her eyes just went and she could see. Can't you see that's not the man you're angry with? Separating me from yesterday. Old things pass away. Behold, all. if any man's in Christ, he's a... Separating me from the man she was so livid towards. Because she could still see my face. She'd still remember when she'd look at my physical... But God said, can't you see? He said, in fact, Kim, that's not even the man you married. I have made him. I love this part of the story. I have made him a brand new man. (laughs) So guess what? I have to go on being. (laughs) Ain't nothing I can do about it. (laughs) Just believe it and be it, right? So God told my wife I was a brand new man. She collapses on the floor. She's in a fetal position, crying her little eyes out, overwhelmed. Now he's coming to make peace from that little ran in the bedroom. I'm done with you too. And he's hovering over her. He's loving on her and she's crying. All of a sudden she realizes he's there speaking, addressing. He says, hey, it's true you prayed to me for 13 years. And I know it looks like I didn't do anything, but you don't understand how you tied my hands from ever being able to answer what you were asking. Because you never ask from love or mercy, you only ask from pain and unforgiveness. You never one time prayed for your husband 
because of love for him and feeling sorry for him. You knew if I changed him, your day would be much easier and better. You were reduced to another hurting wife that prays. He said, I can't answer your prayer and leave you there. Because that's not me or who you were created to be. You don't pray for somebody to change because they're a trial to you. You pray for somebody to change because they're a whole lot more than what they're seeing and living. And that matters to you because you love. Forgive them, Father. They know not. Well, it sure looks like they knew. Secret meetings, 30 pieces of silver, sermon after sermon, scheming, planning. Looks like they knew. Forgive them, Father. They know. This is coming from a man totally innocent who is God and became a man to pay for man, son of God, who was from the beginning, who is and is to come. He's beat beyond description. Forgive them, Father. They know not what they do. And we think we have reasons to have an angry heart, an unforgiving heart. That's why I said, if you hate, you're in darkness till now. And if you hate, the love of God doesn't abide in you. You're deceived. The Lord told my wife, I couldn't answer the prayer and leave you there. Watch this. If you spoiled your child, we'd say shame on you. And then we want God to treat us that way. We want to come to God with a wrong motive. We just want to come because we're offended. You need to knock him off his high horse. He's done enough work in this family to hurt me and these kids. God, when are you going to slap him down, change him, and make him change? That's not why he changes people because you're mad. He changes people because you love. Well, what's that prayer look like? Father, my husband has no clue who he is. Your word says, if my husband loved me, it would be because he loves himself. The fact that he has no idea how to love me, he doesn't have a clue who he is. God, I'm asking something from him that he doesn't even know how to do it. God, he doesn't see the value of his children. He's so lost in self-centeredness and he get the idea he doesn't even like himself. God, would you have mercy on my husband? He's so lost and so confused. I know he can be so much more than I see him living. God, would you grant him understanding, give him visions, dreams, somebody in his life to pass by that he'll have ears to hear. But God, would you move on behalf of my husband and raise him up to be the man you paid for him to be? I'll bet you God hears that stuff. But just knowing if God changes me, her day will go better. Now she's got the thorn out of her flesh. The Lord said, I can't ever answer that prayer and leave you that way. Because come on, if that doesn't change, if it's not me, it's going to be something else. We always say, if this would change, I'll be better. But then what about if something else goes awry? You got to get rid of the platform or the plane will keep landing. Are you all with me? So, So the Lord said, I couldn't answer your prayer for 13 years because I didn't want to empower you to stay there because I created you to be like me and that's not like me. So in his due time and through intercession and somebody, and there's a deep story of that, and I won't get into that tonight. He set me free and healed me and delivered me at work. I'm just in my workplace working. And when it was all over, I was like, you're real. Oh, 
Because I went to enough church, I would have told you that Jesus died on the cross for the remission of my sins. I grew up in church. You could have handed me a track. I would have told you the answer on the track. I'd have threw it in the garbage on the way around. I'd have said, oh man, hey, thanks for caring, but I'm already, yeah, remission of my sins through his blood, man. I appreciate it. Saved. Gee, I got to turn the corner and pitch the thing and kept walking just to get rid of you. And you think I'm a brother because I have a language. No, my brother, because I have a life. You all with me? Come on, guys. Man, if we're a Christian for our sake, we're only as good as life's unfolding. If we're a Christian for his great name, we're good. It doesn't mean we stop believing for things. It doesn't mean we stop praying over my mama. It doesn't mean you stop believing some things you're believing for. But don't let those things decide who you are and how you are. Because they should all stem from him. Because he's been nothing but good from the beginning. Because he never changed his mind about us. We never lost our destiny because of sin. He paid a price. He covered it all. And he's allowed us all back into him. We should be pretty excited about that. Not, well, I don't like my job. Okay. (laughs) There's probably a deeper revelation out there that wants to tackle you. (laughs) Well, I don't like the way my family treats me. Yeah, I probably could imagine that. I mean, I know how that goes in families. But the way he's treated you is called to supersede all that. So you become the answer, not a victim. See, if you're a victim, somebody's a villain. And identity's all scrambled. If all you are is a victim, somebody's a villain. Yeah? Come on, we've been through stuff. There's stories all through this room, guys. Some of us have been touched inappropriately at very young ages. Some of us went through seasons that were almost unthinkable. And if you're identifying through that and drawing your conclusion to God through that, you're going to be greatly deceived. It's just sin trying to overtake you and reproduce sin and get your heart so confused, so hard, so hurt, and so full of questions that when good news comes, there's nothing good about it because you have issues. So that you can't even hear the answer. I promise you. It's just the God of this world. It's the devil himself, the prince and power of the air, just trying to work in the hearts of men to blind, deceive, to steal, to kill, and destroy. So that when good news comes, you're way past anything good. Because you don't know what I've been through. and You don't, don't come and tell me God loves me. Whew, that's a sad, sad day, friend. Now, I can talk like that because I'm in the pulpit and I'm not being insensitive. You've heard my heart. I would never just say that to somebody, but I've heard people say that. I've had people accost me for even assuming to them God was good. And then they told me their story. Did you ever notice that when they asked Jesus a question, they ever, ever ask him a pure question? Did you notice? Every time they ask him a question, there's spite behind it, trickery, trappery, testing, ill motive. Would you agree? Did he ever answer their questions? He always answered with a question. Isn't that something? He would never feed that wicked thing. He wouldn't even talk to Pilate. Pilate marveled. Don't you hear these men accusing you? You got nothing to say. You ain't gonna... He already knew where they're coming from. You ain't no sense. He's not going to just throw out a defense and let them chop it up. He just stood there like a lamb already slain. You got to love Jesus. So when people say, well, if God's good, then how come? And if God's good, why'd he allow? And if God's good, why didn't he? 
And I think Jesus would answer with the question and say, well, let me ask you a question. If God wasn't good, why did he send me when you were guilty to pay the price for your sins so you can come back to him? Stop judging the one that's calling you home. If you're sitting here tonight questioning God's love because of the facts of life, I'm telling you, you're looking in the wrong place. You should look to the cross. The measuring stick of God's love is Christ crucified. I got that revelation a long, long time ago in a little vision when I was praying. I saw Jesus stripped and naked on a cross and he looked worse than any movie I'd ever seen. And his body was torn and tattered. And I couldn't tell you what he looked like as a man, like his features as a man, like I'm looking at men and, he, and you know, you recognize my face. I couldn't tell that. I could just knew it was Jesus in my vision. And all of a sudden, the spirit of God in me whispered loud and said, what else could it mean? What else could it mean? It just kept saying, I felt like I was going to explode. I had this vision. And he said, I love you. <laughs> I've been toast ever since. <laughs> My family went haywire for a while. My wife went in identity crisis. I was a full-time pastor and she wouldn't even come to church. And I didn't know how to carry pressure. Why? Because he loves me. And I'm on the earth, friend, for one reason. Not for things to go my way. I'm on the earth for one reason. To shine. Nobody on this planet owes me a thing. You have no power to break my heart. You can't even rub me wrong. <laughs> Look, I've been talking like this for 26 years. And totally getting away with it. <laughs> you know why? Because it's built on truth. And I ain't popping off. And it's not discipline. And it's not emotional balance. It's flat out truth. And if I wake up every day and that's fresh in my life that nobody owes me a thing and today is a gift, not a grind. Come on, I lived that way when my mom was laying in that bed. I lived that way when a good friend was withering from cancer. I lived that way when my wife wouldn't talk to me and wouldn't even come to church after we had a fairy tale marriage for two and a half years in the Holy Ghost. See, you could just take that and say, look what you're letting slip away. We need to get back to where we were. We're being robbed. You're letting the devil lie to you. I could have made it just all about me getting what I had. Because we had a fairy tale marriage. I didn't even know marriage could be what I had. I didn't know sexual union could be what I had. And all of a sudden, I realized why everything's so counterfeited and sensual and emotional driven to keep us bound there and deceived there so we never truly live in the spirit, Pastor. Oh, man, I tasted and saw. And then all of a sudden, it felt like it just all slipped away because something shifted in my wife. Well, you could blame her, get mad at her, or you could love her for eight years. You say eight years is a long time. Truth doesn't know time. So why do you let time change truth? Come on. So when in those eight years does my purpose change? When in those eight years am I any less loved by God, any less anointed? You say, well, yeah, but brother, you can only take so much in your theology, in your natural mind. Wonder if God said you can only take so much where your life's concerned. Wonder if God knew how to draw a line on your life. Wonder if God said... Sat in heaven, watched you, and said, I can only take so much, and you crossed that line. Come on. Where do we get so self-righteous that we can call the shots on somebody's longevity, somebody's 
righteousness, somebody's potential, somebody's future. If God thought like we think through the fallen wisdom of man, none of us would be sitting here filled with his spirit. Are you guys with me? Is this fair enough? When did God ever cut you off? When did God just say, boy, you just bother me? You know, you just rub me wrong. You know, out of everybody in the room, you're just the one that I'd rather not be around. It's just a personality thing. You know, I just, I don't know what went wrong when I made you, but. (laughs) Haven't we done that to each other? Don't we avoid people that we don't like, that we would never admit? (sighs) Every time we do this stuff, it's an indictment, Pastor, that we don't know him like we could. It's a charge against us that we're something we need to grow in. Yeah? You guys okay? You know, there's nothing I preach that you can't live. Isn't that so cool? Like I didn't preach nothing beyond where grace will take you if you're willing. You know what I've learned? There's a whole lot of people not willing to become love. They hold on to their own rights and the things they inherited through the fall of man. And they let human wisdom remain their wisdom. So they have lines that can be crossed and chips that can be knocked off. And they have a lot of yell butts in their vocabulary. They have a lot of justifications for not looking like Jesus in the moment. So tomorrow usually looks like yesterday. And that's not cool. Are you all with me? We can live this way, guys, I promise you. I know, I know not everybody agrees with me when I preach, but I laugh and I say, well, I'm the most deceived man you ever met or I'm free. And I just got all my chips on free. We're going to find out someday. <laughs> but I got my chips on the free blank, man. Because the deal is this. When you wake up in the morning and nobody owes you a thing and you're on the earth for one reason and that's to shine. Who's going to touch that? All of a sudden, I realize why Jesus walked the way he walked. It wasn't because he's Jesus. It's because he's love. God is love. It'd be one thing if God was all all knowing and all powerful. That would be amazing because all knowing and all breathing into dirt and a man jumping up is pretty intense. (laughs) But what makes him God to me is that he's love. Wonder if he was biased. Wonder if he was a control freak. Wonder if God wasn't love, but he was all powerful and all knowing and wasn't love. Wonder if he was judgmental. Wonder if he was critical. Wonder if he was biased. Wonder if he just liked Larry and didn't like Dan. And now Larry's in and I'm out just because of preference. Ain't that something? I don't think we think of this. What what makes him so incredible to us and so accessible? Is that he's love. His love will never fail. He doesn't seek his own. He didn't take account of the suffered wrongs. He doesn't have a rap sheet and decide you did enough to warrant him not liking you. No. He says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. What he's saying is, if I be lifted up, I can draw them into me. I'm the light of the world. I can get this darkness off them and show them who they really are, who they're created to be, and who they are in me. And if I could teach them that and they begin to see who they are and why they're here, it'll change everything. In fact, they'll be born again. 
Yeah? And they won't be conformed to the world and its ideas and its way of thinking and its precepts. Come on, we were taught a language from little up. We were taught from little up, from the fall of man by sheer instinct, to be self-centered without trying, to be angry because of self-centered, discouraged because of self-centered, hurt and offended because of self-centered. You take away self, you take away all the effects. So if any man come after me, Matthew 16, let him pray a prayer and assure he goes to heaven if he dies. He didn't preach that. If any man come after me, let him first deny himself. Because it's the biggest problem on the planet that every day men wake up and live for themselves when in fact they're made for the image and glory of God. And we think it's the politics thing. We think it's racial conflict. We think it's terrorism. The biggest problem on the planet is every day, people that even go to church wake up and live and think for themselves and not the kingdom of God. We sing about the kingdom. We talk about the kingdom. But are we really living and seeking first the kingdom of God? Okay, I'm done. I'm going to settle down. Well, I'm not going to settle down. But I'm done. You can see the smiles on my face. I'm not mad at nobody in this room. You don't even feel one bit like I'm mad at nobody in this room. I'll tell you, we can live what I preach tonight. Every one of us can live what I preach tonight. There ain't one person that can't wrap faith around what I preach tonight. This is an all-inclusive word that he paid for everyone once and for all. Yeah, we're all called. To walk in his love. We're all called to live by spirit. We're all called to walk in the light, Richard. All of us. We're all called to be sons and daughters. We're all called to love. You say, well, you don't know my surroundings and my family and nobody. Stop. It takes one to pursue peace. It takes two to fight. It takes one to pursue peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. These are the sons of God. It takes one to pursue peace. See, you can't talk me out of this because there was an eight-year period where there I was the only one in a house of four that even seemed like they remotely cared. Doesn't change truth. Doesn't change what I'm here for. Doesn't change calling and destiny. I'm no less anointed. I have no less ability to have intimacy and fellowship with God just because my wife won't come to church because she's believing some wrong things about her identity. All my wife started believing in the beginning was, wow, I just realized people love you. They just say hi to me because I'm with you. I was like, huh? I mean, I didn't even, I was like, huh? I was like that emoji with the big eye and the little eye. (laughs) I said, you can't even possibly believe that. She said, well, it's true. And all of a sudden I looked and realized she believed it. She said, well, it's all rhetorical. They're just saying hi to me because I'm with you because it's polite. You're called, you're gifted, I'm just your wife. I was like, well, that ain't that bad, is it? (laughs) Just having fun. (laughs) It wasn't anything personal towards me. If I wasn't secure, I'd have crashed. If I wasn't in this place that I'm preaching to you, I'd have been calling him saying, we need to pray. If she don't break soon, I can't take any more. I got enough on my plate. And that's the last thing I need is a deceived wife. She's supposed to be my helpmate and running with me. And all of a sudden I have justifications for being weak and tattered. And 
And then I surround myself with people that understand my story and have similar stories. Now I have a support system to stay there. Justify living there when there's no life coming out of there. And then I turn into a statistic and maybe 10 years later, I still have an identity and a stigma and a stereotype through the whole thing. And you're not shining the whole time. Thank you. That was good. You ought to preach that sometime, man. No, dude, it's you ought to preach that. Because <laughs> you wouldn't be shining the whole time. Why? Because you're letting something matter more than what matters most. Seek ye what? Not second. Not somewhere down the line. Seek ye what? So every time you respond to something, you have to have regard for and think first for the kingdom of God and live for his great name. That's amazing, guys. His people went out among the nations in Ezekiel and profaned and misrepresented him everywhere they went. The whole reason they were his people was that the nations of the earth would know God through them. Do you think we have any less calling in the New Testament, New Covenant Church of Jesus Christ that's been washed in his blood? Greater for sure. So we have the Spirit of God in us. Why? So we feel fuzzy and goosebumpy? If the Spirit of God in us so that we can walk in love and walk in the light as He's in the light, and as He is, so are we in this. As He, so are we. It's as that's how we know love's been perfected. It's first John 4 17. That in the day of judgment, you'll have boldness. You won't be hiding and crying and screaming and trying to avoid his presence like people. You'll have boldness. Why? Because as he, so are. Well, brother, I served faithful in a ministry for 20 years. Now talk about that. You never let that take the place of knowing him. If you're serving in ministry for identity, you'll get hurt in church. That's why there's so many hurt Christians by church. There's so many people issues in church. It proves we don't understand the gospel. We don't realize why we got saved. It's just true. I'm just talking plain. Now, that doesn't have to be you. Don't let that be you. There's a lot of offense and a lot of hurt. Ninety some percent of counseling is people struggling with people. It's proof that we don't understand why he came. And somehow we think it's all about him towards us instead of him through us. Y'all good? Be a good time to pray for the sick right now. I got to back off. No, I won't back off all weekend. I'm not over aggressive. I'm kind. I'm smiling. Look at me leaning here all chilling. Just saying it. Just sharp though, ain't it? It's, like, it's awesome. Have your heart laying out on the table in like three sentences. Just laying there. We trim it, get the flesh off, pop it back in. Do that all in an hour and a half. It's a pretty cheap surgery, man. Didn't cost you nothing. Just amen. <laughs> wow. You guys good? Come on. We can live this. I know I keep saying it, but it feels like it's something the Lord just cheering on. That Guys. We can be our own worst enemy with this stuff. We can get analytical and talk ourselves out of stuff. Come on. We can live this. There's nothing I preach we can't live. 
We were made. It's the whole reason we're on the earth. It's the whole reason we're on the earth. We were made for God's image. That got lost through sin. So Jesus took care of that problem. Put his life back inside of us for this very reason. To follow him. Not just sing to him and pray to him our list. Is he still a healer? You better believe he's a healer. Does he redeem? Of course, that's what we're talking about. Does he provide? He's Jehovah Jireh. You can't change that. He'll provide. So is it right to pray about some of these things? You pray about those things, but seek ye first the kingdom of God, please. Seek ye first and don't let your disposition be based on whether you got the promotion or not. Let your disposition rest on the fact that he lives inside of you and he sees you clean. And you have access to the Father. Through the sun. Yeah. yeah. See, that'll make you like, I have to fight off sometimes just to communicate, but that's what'll make you what you see happen to me when I talk. I just, I'll be sitting on a plane talking to somebody and I go, whoa, you really got passion. And I think I'm playing it so low key. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, you, do you see passion? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A little passion. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, I would have blew him out that little circle window <laughs> if I wouldn't have done what I did. Because I'm like way low, way. <laughs> and they're like, whoa, you got passion. I'm like, what? You see passion? Oh, yeah. I'm like, wow. <laughs> I thought I was barely on the meter. <laughs> and they're almost borderline like, chill, chill, man. I thought, man, I wonder if I came at him like it is. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Lord Jesus. No, in all seriousness, let's pray for the sick. It'll be beautiful. Yeah. See, see, I'm not preaching something around not being healed. What I'm saying is no matter what your situation is, it's not like some backup message. No matter what your situation is, we never grow weary and well-doing. We never not walk in love. We never turn off the light because we're created to shine. I just heard the testimony of a guy I hung out with in his house when I was preaching. They, ho they hosted me like you guys. And well, it was just a single fellow. It was just him. He, he hosted me in his trailer. It was so cool. We just hung out. He was so excited. He never heard me preach. And he just wanted to keep me there at the house. And uh, we got talking and we really hit it off. And he was telling me what he had been through. And it was a really serious situation in his life without going into detail. It was something that wrecks most people. And he was at his workplace, and they know he's Christian, but they don't totally understand. But he has some access, but he's just really letting his light so shine. And he's not preaching as much as he's just living. And weeks after all this stuff went down, his work, somehow his workers got wind of what he went through. And it just totally freaked him out. Like there's, like, there's no way you just went through that. Because no one would ever have a clue. How could you? How would it be possible for you to go through that and nobody even have a clue? You're like you didn't even flinch. Like you were the same happy, joyous. He said, "Well, the truth I live by will never change." And people can do things, but truth will never change. And he just shared what he believes in his conviction, and his coworkers were like overly impressed with his faith and his view on life because they saw the fruit of it after the fact. And he never preached one word to him. His life spoke. And when they found out his story, not through him, 
they came to him and said, there's no way this can be true. They, he said, oh yeah, that's exactly. There's no way. How would that be possible? You didn't miss no time. You came in here and functioned. You, were, you couldn't even tell. There's no way you could go through that and not be totally wrecked. He said, oh no, for sure you could. What? These are unbelievers. That all they know is me, myself, and I. Like every time they say, I love you, it's really, I need you. Please, we get trapped in that in the church. My I love you is I need you a lot. We prove it when things go wrong. Love doesn't seek its own, guys. It takes how much account of a suffered wrong? How much account does love take of a wrong? Then why are we busted up by each other? Why do we live churches over each other? And why do we counsel because of each other? When love takes no account. I'll tell you why. Because we haven't become love. We've become Christian. Time to become love. I'm not being mean. Just being real. Takes one to pursue peace. Takes two to tango. One to pursue peace. Takes one to hold the fabric of a home in a place of hope. One believing spouse sanctifies an unbelieving husband. And grace washes over the kids. I found that in my Bible. So wives, wives, wives. Now I pastor for a while, so bear with me, wives. So wives don't say, well, he's supposed to be the leader. And you know what it's like living in this house and I ain't got no leader. And da, 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 da. Oh, you got a leader. His name's Jesus and he lives in you. Stop letting what your husband is and decide what you are and finding a reason to be less than faith. Wow. Come on. And husbands, she's the one that's supposed to love me and be a helpmate. I ain't, he ain't no missing rib to me. She's an extra bone. <laughs> hey, she don't fit nowhere. <laughs> All of a sudden you're complaining about each other and making each other your reason for being wherever it is you are. Do you know how many people are bitter at their spouses? Why? Because they came in this thing saying, I love you, and it was really, I need you, and they didn't measure up. And all their expectations were failed. And all their hopes were shattered. That's why we stay stuff like, and we think it's flattery, it's idolatry. I don't know what I'd do without you. I couldn't live without you. You're everything to me. We think it's flattery. It's called idolatry. There's only one that fits that description. One. You think it's romantic. It's idolatry. Stop. It's hinged on need. You're giving yourself away. And if they're needy, they love hearing it. So much for the romance thing. I pulled it all out. <laughs> Just wishy-washy, man. Okay, we're done. We're going we're gonna to pray for the sick. I know you don't believe me, but we are. I didn't shatter you in one service, did I? You can bear with me. We all good? Okay. We're going to pray for the sick. It'll be fun. It'll be really, really beautiful. I'm going to get you to help me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explain and teach. It's going to be simple and beautiful. You watch and see what he does in this room. It'll be fun. I'm telling you, it has nothing to do with me here. It has to do with a simple message and simple truth. You with me? Okay, when you pray for the sick, it's important to pray for the sick. I wish we would all pray for the sick more. The number one reason that I found that Christians don't pray for the sick, it's not their theology. It's they're afraid nothing will happen. 
and they don't want to be in an uncomfortable position. So that would be self-centered too, wouldn't it? So here's what they say. Here's what they say. Man, I mean, I want to pray for the sick, but I'm afraid nothing will happen. So I just ain't going to pray for the sick. So guess what they always have? The very thing they're afraid of. Nothing. So their reasoning guarantees them nothing because they never, ever release faith or put their hand on the sick. And these signs follow those that they shall lay their hands on the sick. So when you don't lay your hands on the sick, you're revealing that you don't believe that aspect of your faith concerning you. You might believe God heals and heals through people. Then you'll, so you'll drag all your sick friends to a person you believe is anointed. And I wish that would stop. These signs follow those who are anointed. These signs follow those who are gifted. These signs follow those who have the office of. These signs follow those that. You see how important your believer is? Everything's out for your believer. Everything wants a crack at your believer. Everything wants a little bit of a voice in what you believe. Oh, I promise. Who authors your faith? Who's the author of your faith? So where do you rest your believer? Jesus in his life, in his words. And if you can't find what you believe in Jesus' life, you ought to throw it out. And if what you say you believe doesn't equate with his life, the life he lived on the earth, because he said, when you see me, you have seen the Father. So all the stuff we say about healing, God's time, well, you need more faith, da-da-da-da-da. You don't see Jesus. He didn't say none. He never said to somebody, go get some more faith and come back. He didn't hand them a faith booklet when they weren't healed. Why? The sign follows those who. Wow. So when you pray for the sick, who do you represent? The believer. In Jesus. So that's what we're going to do tonight. It's going to be fun. When you pray for the sick, you'll find two things. Tons of sicknesses. There's all kinds of stuff out there. It was all paid for. And I know sometimes some stuff seems worse and looks worse and is worse physically than others. We're, we're not making a joke about that. that. That would be rude. What I'm saying is you can't make one thing bigger than the other where the finished work's concerned. You know what I mean? Now, I understand somebody that has a sprained ankle isn't suffering like somebody that has four states cancer and their body's depleted. And they can't eat and they're nauseous 24-7. I get there's, there's some wretched stuff going on out there. Painful, terrible stuff, right? The price that was paid is the same for all that. So I want you to settle that. There's two things you'll run into, especially if you pray for the sick in public. Even in churches, there's, there's people that if they were healed, they would, they would know it because it's, 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 it's symptomatic. It's circumstantial. It's... There's something impaired. There's something frozen. There's something degenerated. There's bone on bone. There's a lump. There's eyesight. There's ears. There's stuff that if it would change, it would be obvious you're healed. Get it? There's other things that you pray for that if they were healed, they wouldn't know. Time would have to tell. Or, or uh, a test. There's things that people are taking medicine for that if they weren't told they had it, they wouldn't necessarily know in that moment. You see what I mean? Uh, people have migraines. They get migraines. Did you ever hear somebody in a grocery store line or somewhere in a 
coffee shop or your lunchroom talking about, boy, I'm sure glad I ain't got a migraine today. I thought today was going to be the day. And then they're talking about that would have wiped me out. Man, I'm due to have it any day because it's been coming on a every other week basis. You ever hear anybody talk like that? And but they don't have one. But when you hear them talking like that, man, just say, hey, couldn't help but to hear what you were saying to them. I wasn't eavesdropping. You were just talking. Oh, yeah, I didn't I know. Why? What's up? Listen, man, I just, I'm frank with people. I'm pretty frank with people. I say, listen, bottom line is, man, I want to pray for you. I just believe that it'll never come back. I just pray for you in the name of Jesus. Listen, if I didn't see God do this kind of stuff in my life, why would I even ask? If I knew nothing would happen, I wouldn't even take our time. Man, I believe we can pray and you'll never have that migraine again. What do you say? You got nothing to lose. And you just pray for them. So it's the same faith there as if they had the migraine. Don't make one easier than the other. Oh, I'll pick everybody that wouldn't know if they're healed because then I'll never know and I can just get out of there scot-free. <laughs> I'm just telling you, I know how people think. Don't make one easier than the other and it all takes the same faith and it's the same finished work. Are you all with me? Okay, so here's what we're going to do tonight first. We're just going to pray for anybody and please participate tonight. Don't come this far with me and then back out. There's people that make vows in their heart. They're like, I was prayed for in so many services and nothing ever changes and I'm tired of getting prayed for and not being healed and I'm never asking again. And they'll just sit in their seat like, and I compel those people to get up and, and get prayer because this is another night and hey, we didn't have a shot at you yet. You know, <laughs> we're talking simple faith. We're going to talk some simple things. When we get rolling in this, you're going to see how simple this is. And it's going to be fun. Jesus likes it. I promise you, he likes it. He told me to do it this way a long time ago. We're not going to use any music or nothing. I'm going to make the room as dry as I can. <laughs> I'm going to like take atmosphere out of this place, like to where you're not even sure if you're saved. It'll be like. <laughs> Who's ever approached somebody in public to pray for him and, and stepped through the feelings of, just encouraging them or praying for them or evangelizing, right? And it's not always. <laughs> Sometimes it's just you and their blank stare and <laughs> or their rolling friend's eyes. <laughs> and you ain't got the worship team behind you. <laughs> be nice if you pull them out of your pocket and open them up on the top of your car and they'd be just right there. But they're not. <laughs> so we're going to make the room dry. Jesus will like that too, I promise. We're just going to make this all about one thing, his love for the people. And what he accomplished on that cross and when he raised him from the dead. So if you get prayer tonight, no matter what group you're in, there's all you're allowed to do tonight. I don't want you expected not to be healed and then saying, why me always? Or, <laughs> or not getting prayer because of that. I don't want you saying, say, what are you doing? I'm just trying to receive. <laughs> You're not allowed to do that stuff tonight. You're not allowed to pray in tongues. I'm not even letting you pray tonight. Here's all I want you to do if we pray for you tonight. Don't you believe one thing? He has to love you or he did never send his son. Are you with me? Yeah. Listen to me carefully, because if you've been sick for a while, you know what gets questioned? What did I do wrong? What door did I open? Why is the devil? Why is God allowing? And ultimately, in time, whether you say it or not, 
has to do with his love for you, his care for you, or where has he been in my life? And if you have those questions, you don't have intimacy. You have questions. You don't have intimacy. You all with me? Is that fair? So tonight, all I'm giving you permission to do is one thing if you're being prayed for. You just believe he loves you or he did never send his son. That's your verification. Is this fair enough? Yeah.